Welcome to the Bomb and Gouge podcast. I'm your host, Gary Bissell. had a pretty uh, exciting guest today. His name's Dan Wiseman. Uh, Dan's a longtime friend of mine, a new avid golfer. He is a cancer survivor. He is a fitness freak, uh, sports addict, very competitive man with a lot of knowledge. So I want to welcome in Dan Wiseman. What's going on? Great intro. <laughs> Appreciate it, buddy. So, all right, man. So obviously, you know, this podcast is designed around sports, health and wellness, um, a lot of golf, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start there. You know, you uh, you played a little bit of golf your whole life, but recently become quite the addict. It seems like every time I'm talking <laughs> to you, you're, you're always playing golf. So just take me through how this got started. Like, why golf? Why now? And, you know, what got you hooked? Um. Like you said, I, I've i played throughout my life here and there, but I, I was never too serious about it. You know, it was just a kind of a thing where I go out with friends or whatever. And uh, probably about two years ago, me and uh, one of my buddies started playing a lot. and He's a good golfer and uh, just kind of got the itch. And then last year, started playing again quite a lot and um, started seeing some improvements and stuff like that. And then, uh, over the winter this season, I decided to take some lessons and work with, uh, Chris Morey. And I've taken a lesson from you as well and worked with you some and, uh, you know, just kind of got hooked. I, I like, uh, practicing a lot. So once I started practicing and, um, it became, you know, something, a part of my week, a part of my day, um, I started to enjoy it more and more. And, now I just want to be good at it. So <laughs> um, I kind of got the addiction, you know, because I just want to continue to improve. And obviously I'm not where I want to be, um, but I think that's something about the competitive spirit in me and other people that keep them coming back for sure. Yeah, and part of that's just golf. I mean, I, I don't know that I've ever met a golfer that uh, is as good as he wants to be. No, exactly. <laughs> that's just kind of the game because, you know, I always say golf's like the stock market, right? There's a lot of volatility in the sport. And yes. um, even when you become a really good player, it's amazing how bad you can play at times. Um, exactly. It's it's kind of crazy. Yeah. And so that's, I think that's a lot of obviously what, what keeps a lot of us coming back is the fact that you can't quite really master this thing. And um, not that you can really master any sport, but no. uh, I feel like golf is a little more that way. So, um, you know, you, work, you talked about working with Chris Morey and, Obviously, throughout this podcast, you know, various weeks, we're going to talk a lot about golf instruction. So now you've got some experience in that. Kind of tell yeah. me what it's been like getting golf instruction. What are the challenges of that? What's the excitement of that? And how's it how's it going for you? Um, it's it's a uh, it went really well. Uh, I think I took fifteen lessons once a week uh, with Chris over the winter. So I got a lot of lessons, which was nice. You know, I'm not the type of guy that thinks uh, I can improve a whole lot. You know, with one lesson or something like nothing's going to change uh over time from that you might pick up some tips here and there but anyway um I liked it a lot it just it gives me things to work out and I think as a amateur golfer or like a weekend golfer whatever you want to call me um how you have to figure out things to work on you know and I think a lot of people that are my level golfer don't know exactly what they should be working on and what drills to do and stuff like that when they go to the range or even when they're playing. And it gave me a lot of, a lot of those things and, you know, 
taught me how to figure out by the way I'm hitting the ball or what the ball is doing um, ways to figure out the mistakes that I'm making, which is something that I couldn't do previously. You know, I didn't know exactly why I was slicing the ball or why I was pulling the ball with certain clubs or whatever. So that was, that was the most helpful thing. And I think we discussed that right from week one. I told him straight up, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong when I'm doing things wrong. Whereas in basketball or something, if I'm missing a free throw, I can pinpoint what I'm doing wrong and correct it. Yeah. Um, so that was huge for me. Um, obviously just getting in there with him and just hitting a lot of balls and having someone watch it and, uh, help with that stuff is just huge just playing a lot and um, that's the biggest thing and um, definitely my biggest challenges were just fixing things and sticking with those things Um, you know you can correct something I had one thing I corrected with how I was shifting my weight and I couldn't figure it out for like four or five weeks and it would have been real easy to say, all right, I'm done with that. I'm going back to the way I was going to do it. But I stuck with it, and now it's something that, you know, is easy for me and makes sense to me. But uh, those were the biggest challenges was having him fix things and then me being able to continuously do it, even though I was so bad at it for a while. And, you know, a lot of people would want to say, all right, I'm done with that. You know, luckily it was in the winter, so it's not like I was on the course, you know, because you can't fix it's like, any other sport you can't fix things in game you know you kind of got to ride with it um but where you fix things is in practice so it was good it was a lot of aspects of it were great for me yeah no question whenever you're changing motor pattern uh obviously there's a learning curve to that and where you know you always hear the expression you may have to take a step backwards that's not always true um but certainly if you're making any sort of major change uh staying off the golf course is going to be a good thing. And that's why I've always tried to argue, you know, the benefit, if there is a benefit of being in the North, it's that time off in the winter to really work on fundamental changes and yeah, you don't for sure. worry about how it's going to transition to the golf course for a little while. So, um, all right. So you, big time golfer, you know, uh, obviously you've become, so let's talk about watching golf, following golf, and you've become a, a fan of Grand Valley golf, which has been awesome. For sure. And so you've actually played golf with Alex Scott, who did a pretty special thing this week. So <laughs> yeah. Let's give our guy a little plug here and kind of talk about, take me through this day. Cause I know for me, it was so surreal, obviously being the coach and um, seeing where this guy's came from to what he is now. Um, so, you know, what we're referring to for the listeners, the tournament of champions, which tournament of champions is a very prestigious professional tournament uh, that takes place at Boyne resort in northern michigan and to get into this event is actually very difficult so you have to win an event that the michigan pga deems as a pretty prestigious and difficult event to win and then you get an exemption for however many years depending on how let's say tough that event was or what level they categorized that event and so alex has a lifetime exemption from winning the gam championship which is probably the second most prestigious amateur event in the state of michigan which he won by seven shots last year. So this is his first ever tournament of champions. Now to describe the field, it's a lot of the best club pros in the state. It's a lot of the best amateurs. And more importantly, to make it tougher is you're playing against some guys who are touring professionals and play for a living like Eric Lillibow, Sam Weatherhead, uh, Randy Hutchinson, 
you know, some of these guys, Wes, Wesley Gates, like these guys play golf for a living. And Alex is eight shots back going into the final round <laughs> and shoots 61 in the final round to tie the course record. He had seven birdies, two eagles, no bogeys, and came from behind victory to win a playoff over Sam Weatherhead. So now they have live scoring, and that's where you and I were following it. So just because I know what it was like for me. Take it me through the day for you watching this thing. Um, Just wild for, you know, any time a player. I actually, I think I told you this, but um, Dom, one of your other players, um, tweeted something like 59 watch on when he was on like the 12th hole or something. And I'd been following it for most of that afternoon. And until he said that, you know, I was like, oh, he's having a really good round. But I never thought anything of that. And, you know, anytime you see a 59 watch or whatever, whether it's on the PGA Tour, I mean, that's pretty much the only place you really see anything like that. (laughs) Um, You're like, wow, this is uh, this is pretty crazy. And as soon as he said that, you know, I started really notice, Okay, wow, he is playing that good. He's right on pace for that, and um, you knew he had a pretty special day going um, as far as that went. And like you said, to see the guys that he was playing against, um, not that I know a whole lot about him. I know Lil Bo, and I know, um, I believe, the kid that he beat in the playoff. Did he go to Oakland or something? No, he was a uh, player at Michigan State University. So. Oh, okay. All right, I saw a guy. Never mind. Um, Jake, Jake Neen, who finished fourth, is from Oakland. Okay, that's what I saw in an yep. Oakland hat. Okay. Um, so, anyway, like you said, these are all really good established guys. You know, Lil Bo's our age or maybe a year older. Um, and he's from the area, so I know about him and I know how good he is. And um, just to see, like, uh, I mean, Alex is a kid, essentially, still. You know, he's just – he's young and obviously works really hard. And it was just really cool to see him have that opportunity. And how often do you get to see a dude eight strokes back at the start of the day move into contention that quickly? Yeah, no doubt. And the other thing that was so cool we found out after is he's the first amateur to ever win it. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I didn't realize that either until afterwards. Yeah, so, you know, you factor in all those things. Um, it was so cool for me because I remember specifically – a couple guys came by my office, um, sitting in my office all day, and said, hey, how are you guys doing? Okay, you know, Alex is all right. He's, he's eight back. Well, does that give him any chance? I mean, yeah, he's got to shoot 61. And I <laughs> literally said that. Like, just, he's got 61 to have any chance. And not that I didn't think he could do it, but he just hasn't. So it's like <laughs> the odds of it happening are slim to none. I would say most people don't have a great opportunity to do that. <laughs> no, <it's> a, <laughs> he's five under through six, and I start getting texts like, "Hey, how about that sixty-one?" I'm like, "Listen, it's a great start. Let's just let's not let's not get crazy here. We're you know we're being the people that are calling a perfect game through two innings here. Let's just try." Right. <laughs> um, and so, but then all of a sudden he's he's eight under through twelve, and you start going, "Wow, something's happening." <laughs> yeah and then he's exactly. under through 15 and you start freaking out and then i couldn't hit the refresh button fast enough you exactly know? dude hurry up and play these holes hurry up and play these holes and i know he was on 18 for like two hours <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was uh it was suspenseful but definitely one of the cooler moments um of my career to see one of your players accomplish something in that level and 
Um, you know, he's certainly catapulted himself now into really elite territory in terms of history um, and just as a current player in, in the Midwest and in the country. Um, he's really something where he's a name where when he shows up to events now, people know he's for real. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, he's got to know as well uh, internally now. that Yeah, he's going to get everybody's best shot now. Yeah, for sure. yeah, exactly, which is what you want. Yeah, absolutely. So really cool moment there. Um, so, Dan, let's start tying in. You know, we're talking about golf, and obviously you become a big-time golfer. And let's talk a little bit about how, how golf is like other sports and unlike other sports. You're a really good athlete, you know, basketball player in high school. And let's just talk a little bit, just like I said, about how, how is golf similar in your experience and how is it different to other sports? Um, obviously it's a sport. So, you know, that I think every game or sport or whatever you want to call them has that competitive nature. Um, so while different sports may have different levels of competitiveness, I think golf is no different than any other sport. You know, it's a super competitive game. Um, I think that's something people don't realize is that side of it when you're watching it on TV or something. And you don't really realize till you're out playing with your friends. And I've never obviously played in any, anything like these tournaments that are going on that we're watching now. Um, I can't imagine the pressure and that type of stuff. I mean, it's an individual sport. You got that aspect of it. Um, you got the mental aspect of it, which is a little bit different than other sports. And I think that's what's cool about it. It's a it's a mentally grueling game. Um, for instance, just yesterday I started my first three holes were really, really good. And I was feeling really good about myself. And then I hit two terrible putts and I ended up four putting on a hole. And the hole after that, I like triple bogeyed or something. And that's exactly how the game can go. And that's how mentally tough you have to be because – for me, anyway, it's a huge uh, momentum, a huge confidence game. So I think that aspect of it is is really cool, and it's really hard at times. Um, but I love that, and learning about that side of it is just as interesting as learning about the, the game itself. And I think the ways that it's different than other sports is it, it's just a slower game. You have so much time to sit there and think about everything. Um, and that can wear on you for sure. I mean, you have you hit a shot and then you have three minutes until you're hitting another shot if you're walking or, you know. And uh, all you're doing is sitting there thinking about every shot, everything you can do. And I think uh, that's an art in itself is the mental side of golf and uh, something that's very different than any other sport that I've played. Well, you know, you, you made a, a comment there about and it made me think when you said making a triple bogey and mm-hmm. somewhere where golf, I think is a part of what makes it so challenging is say you make a triple or a quadruple bogey even, right? Or we see, mm-hmm. was it Kevin Na made a 14 on a hole, right? Yeah. So <laughs> golf, one of those sports where even at the highest level, you make a, a score like a nine or a 10, you almost can't win that tournament anymore. Right, which is insane. Yeah, and this is off of one single hole. You think of a sport like basketball or football, on one play, there's no way you could lose the game on one play completely. You know what I mean? Like the biggest swing you can have in basketball is five points, right? You turn it over, and then they go hit a three. 
I mean, right. that's just worst case scenario, but you can make that up in 20 seconds. Right. If you make a quadruple bogey, it's going to take you at least four holes to make that up. And that's if you get crazy hot and birdie four in a row. Yeah, exactly. So from that element, I think that's a, a reason why golf can be so stressful, right? Is it's like, oh my gosh, at any given moment, my round can be over. It's crazy. And it's, uh, I don't like to think about it that way because you get out <laughs> and you quad your first hole or something because you're not warmed up, you know, playing on a Saturday and you are like, all right, my round's over. Like, I'm going to play terrible today and it just takes all the fun out of it you know so I try not to think about it but yeah as far as like competitive tournament or something I mean like you said you have to birdie four holes to make up for that but your opponent also has to play really bad to make up for that yeah so it's not you know it's not just you all you can do is play your own game and play well but unfortunately everybody else is doing the same thing so um, there's a lot of pressure on each shot. And, and you think about the way I always think about this is when I play with you, for instance, the other day, um, and you shot a 70 and I shot a 90, 90 or whatever. So over the court, so I took 90 shots, you took 70. I mean, that's a big difference. Let's, let's not play me and you, let's say me and, uh, Packy, our buddy, mm-hmm. he shoots, a 79 and I shoot uh on my best day this year I've shot an 86 that's only seven strokes different over the course of 18 holes yeah seven strokes is nothing that's I've gotten seven strokes on one hole yeah (laughs) you know and it's that's how much pressure every single shot is every shot's important whether it's a three-foot putt or a 300-yard drive and I think that's another aspect of golf that's really interesting um, is just how, you know, you miss a shot in basketball. All right, we'll get another one. It's all right. Um, yeah, exactly. There's nothing really, like I'm saying, in one instance, in one play that can go that wrong in a lot of other sports. You know, yeah. you can't recover fairly quickly. You know, like football, probably the worst play you can make, right, is a pick six. That's the biggest yeah. play. Mm-hmm. So, you throw a pick six, but then maybe you return the kickoff for a touchdown. And it's like, bam, you're right back to square one. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's just that, that part's very, very different. Um, you know, it's, well, you have guys to pick you up, too, in team sports, you know? Yeah. Like, if you're just having a bad game, your teammates pick you up. They help you out. They help your confidence and this and that. You're out on a golf course. You're alone out there. You hit one in the water. And then someone's watching you hit your drop and you hit the next one in the woods, your legs are shaking and your hands are shaking because you're like, Oh my God, what else can I do wrong? Yeah. And you can't get subbed out. That's the worst part. Exactly. You You just want to go home. In basketball, (laughs) you turn it over three straight times. You better believe you might not play the rest of the game. Right. You know, you make two straight triple bogeys. Guess what? You got 16 to play, pal. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's, that's something different for sure than a lot of other sports. All right. So we're talking about, you know, we've tied in mental toughness, obviously, a little bit into this um, on the golf side. So when I think of someone who's mentally tough, you know, I don't think it gets any tougher than you. So <laughs> you've always been a little bit of inspiration to me. Uh, you know, I'm proud to call you a friend. And 
you obviously uh, we, we talk about you know your license plate says mm-hmm. 15. So why don't you give us kind of the short version of what 15 means and tell a little bit of your story. Okay. Um, so I was diagnosed with a type of cancer called Ewing sarcoma. It's a bone cancer. Um, when I was six years old, that was in my right femur. Um, right off the bat, a piece uh, spread to my lung. So right away, as soon as I got home from my appointments and my checkup, I had a 15% chance to survive. So, um, you know, I've always worn the number 15. I have it on my license plate, like you said. Um, that has been a big number for me. It kind of symbolizes a lot in my life. And um, I was one of the fortunate ones that was able to make factors along the way. A lot of people that worked really hard, a great support system around me as far as family and friends go. Um, I had, I've had three hip replacements. I've had, um, 33 surgeries in total. Um, so being so young and having some of this stuff happen to me, um, I think it was just kind of ingrained in me to be mentally tough. You know, when you're that young, you don't really realize the huge consequences of life or death. Um, I'm sure my parents understood that a lot more than I did. I just did what the doctors told me and did what I had to do to get better. Um, I grew a huge passion for the gym, huge passion for physical therapy and stuff like that. Um, I was in physical therapy all the time, and that's where I wanted to be because I knew that if I was in there, I was going to be closer to getting back to doing stuff as simple as playing with my friends outside or playing basketball in the driveway. Um, so like I said, being mentally tough, that was a part of it. I just, you just have to be, um, you hear a lot of news you don't want to hear. You see a lot of things you don't want to see, but you just take it day by day and continue to go, continue to, um, fight and do what you have to do. And, um, when you're dealing with things for that many years like that you stuff that mental toughness carries over into other aspects of life um, like sports like any tough time that you have in your life um, through school or work or you know whatever whatever the case may be but I've always said everybody has their problems has their issues Um, everybody's always like oh you must be so tough this and that you had so many problems that you made it through this and that well I just had different different challenges everybody has their own challenges and um if you look at them like that you know you can get through those too and be mentally tough as well so I think that's a good good uh thing to remember you know and speaking on mental toughness I look at it I think mental toughness gets portrayed in a way that I don't believe is the real definition. I think people look at toughness as someone who never cries or someone who doesn't show a lot of emotion. Um, To me, that's not necessarily, I'll be curious to get your take. When I define mental toughness, it's more in your attitude and the way you approach things. And it's focusing on the solution rather than the problem. So Mm -hmm. when something happens, like you said, something happens to everybody at some point, right? No one's going to get through this life without 
some sort of tragedy happening in their life. And can you take your focus off the tragedy and focus it on how am I going to find a solution to this? How am I going to keep moving Um, rather than sitting around feeling bad for yourself? And I've told people before, you know, telling your story about, you know, this guy was given a 15% chance to live. And it goes back to that glass half full discussion. And I think most people look at that as, man, I have an 85% chance of dying. The odds are against me. I'm probably going to die. Right. Whereas I know damn well, someone like you looks at it like 15%. I'll take those odds. That means I got a chance. What's it going to take? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's how, you know, I didn't, necessarily do that all on my own i mean like i said i had a great support system and some people don't have that um however kind of what you were saying looking at the looking at it as the half glass half full geez um i think that's just an outlook on life and some people are kind of just naturally negative about things and they have to work extra hard to do that and um personally i believe that that's something that you should work extra hard if you have that kind of negative outlook on life, you know, you should work hard at trying to look at the positives because you really, you really do have a good life in front of you and good things going for you, um, whether you see it or not. So I think it's, it's important to, you know, you're going to have your challenges and they're going to be tough and it's okay to um, be down about those challenges for a time, but you can't stay there for a long time you know I've had I've been told I can't play this sport and I've been told I can't do this and things that I love a lot and obviously I was in tears at that time I was having a really tough time dealing with it but it was for like two days and then I was like all right I'm gonna just get back to work and just you know work my hardest and see see what I can do see if I can make it back you know people can tell you a lot of different things but and you just have to continue to keep your head down and work hard. And I think uh, that was the most important thing for me is none of these negative feelings lasted for very long. And uh, now, you know, I don't let them last for very long. But, of course, you have those those feelings sometimes where you feel down and you just can't do anything about it, and that's fine, but just don't let them last. No, no doubt. So, Dan, you mentioned the gym, uh, falling in love with the gym, and that's become a huge part of your life. Uh, talk a little bit about your certifications now, and obviously you've gained a lot of weight in a good way, putting on muscle, mm-hmm. lean muscle. Um, this mm-hmm. is, you know, you really transform your body and, and become obsessed really with not only strength and looking good, but overall health. So speak to that a little bit, if you would, on your certifications and, you know, this, this turn that you've taken in life for the better. Yeah, um, so... In high school, I got really into weight training. Obviously, I was in therapy and stuff when I was little, um, so I kind of started to like the gym through that. My dad's always been a big advocate for taking care of your stuff and stuff, my family in general. Um, but when I got in high school, I was super skinny. I was like 125 pounds, and um, between my, let's see, like my sophomore and junior year, I think I put on, 15 pounds and it was of or maybe 10 pounds and then between my junior and senior year I added another five or six pounds and it was muscle I mean I don't don't gain fat very easy um and I worked really hard and you know just to 
compliments I was getting when I was playing basketball and stuff, people were saw videos or whatever, and you could see from one year to the next how much of a transformation I had made, and that just kept kind of fueling the fire. And then um, once I got to college, I fell off a little bit, and then I got back into it hard, and um, I got decided to get my personal training certification through NASM. Um, I got my nutrition certification through Precision Nutrition. Um, I'm currently working with a nutritionist from Precision Nutrition, actually. Um, I think it's beneficial to have a trainer if you're a trainer and have a nutritionist if you're a nutritionist and this and that. And uh, that's not my it's not my day job, but it's just something that I really enjoy. And um, I like taking care of myself and, um, you know, being athletic and the benefits I get from that. Obviously, I have a I walk with a limp. I have a lift on my right shoe, and um, I know how much the gym helps me in my everyday life to be able to walk better and to be able to play rec sports with my friends and play golf and do things that I enjoy. Um, the gym it really helps me a lot. So uh, it's something that's become really important to me, and uh, I just feel like every every day I enjoy it a little bit more. And like I said, I don't think I've missed too many workouts in, in quite a few years now. It's just something that's a part of my life. And, you know, I love talking to people about that stuff. I love working with people on that stuff. Uh, it's definitely just a passion of mine. So how much do you think this working out and fitness and looking good has played into your ability to be able to date the former captain of the Michigan State cheerleading <laughs> squad? Um, probably, probably hugely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's maybe the most impressive accomplishment you have. So far. So, yeah, for sure. A, I agree. That's a big win. And I got to stand by your side through all that. So it wasn't, it wasn't easy to convince Nicole <laughs> to date you, but, uh, you know, it was pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys are about as happy as I've ever seen now. So that's all great. Um, Okay, Dan, so let's talk about one of your favorite topics here as we start to wrap this up. You're a known massive LeBron James fan, is that correct? <laughs> huge. <laughs> um, not, not a huge LeBron James fan as far as a basketball player. Okay. Let's clear that up right away <laughs> before people go insane. All right, so what don't you like about, you know, I'm mean, we're going to start talking here about his decision to go to Los Angeles. But before I'm curious now, what don't you like about him as a basketball player? I mean, there's no denying he's like arguably the greatest player of all time. I can't deny that. I just can't stand uh, after every – and many, many players do this. But after every call, the stand there and stare at the refs with like the ugly face and – um anything doesn't go his way, you know, the cry about it stuff. I just like, you're an enormous human being. You're the most athletic human being on earth. Like if somebody bumps you, you can't always cry about it. <laughs> like not every single time I get it once in a while. You have to, you can't do it every time. I mean, for me, we were playing backyard basketball and you legitimately just punched me in the face. Cause I was beating you so bad. <laughs> 
and I didn't say anything about it. I just got right back to killing you. Yeah, we remember that day very differently. Uh, <laughs> as far as the LeBron piece goes, <laughs> I, I think I've been referred to by you as a LeBron nut hugger. I think that's the, the term <laughs> you've uh, deemed for me. And You know, I'm a big LeBron fan in terms of, I think, off the court he's great, and I respect his game. He is. And, uh, I agree. And the complaining thing, I don't knock him too hard for that from the standpoint of, like you said, everyone does it. Now, I do believe when you're the best player in the league, you should be held to a higher standard. Um, but when I look at him, the only thing he ever does that really bothers me and makes me think, gosh, it's, it makes it a little harder to consider you the best ever, is how often he, if you want to complain to the ref during a timeout or a dead ball, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. I get so irked when I see him not get back on defense because he's yelling at the ref. Right. And to me, if you're going to be the greatest player of all time, you have to be a two-way player. That's an obvious requirement. Mm -hmm. And I can't consider you that elite defensively if you take literally plays off on defense. We're like, you don't even get to the right half of the court. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's not like you're just – being a little lazy on a switch or something like you're not even in the right area (laughs) exactly you're 40 feet from where you need to be because you're trying to complain and when have we ever seen in the history of basketball lebron james stay on the other side of the court not play defense complain about a call and all of a sudden the ref stops playing he goes you know what i was wrong it was a foul right so it's like you're killing your team when you do that but you still see you never see him complain about something on defense and not get back to play offense. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, let's be clear. He's really fun to watch. He's really good. And even more than that, he just seems like he's really got his priorities right off the basketball court. Yeah, um, it certainly appears that way. Um, it's pretty. It's pretty incredible, especially with all the – stuff you see now because of you know the tmz espn era right where all these guys are just doing all this crazy stuff and he just seems like he's just like a straight forward good guy he does appear that way um (laughs) yeah i've always been a little skeptical i never really say i know and because of the tiger because of tiger yep (laughs) Um, but you know, he's passed the test so far, that's for sure. So yeah. what do you think of him going to L.A.? Like, do you think this is going to work? Do you think he went there to win a championship, or do you think he doesn't really care about that? Uh, I think he's proven that he cares about winning. Um, it's just crazy because it's hard to say that, you know, I don't think he's going to get to a championship or something when he does it with, like, the Cleveland Cavaliers and stuff. <laughs> I know – I know he's got a good support system and he can, you know, talk to the GMs into getting essentially anybody he wants, especially because people want to play with him. So it's hard to, it's hard to think that he won't get in a championship and that the Lakers aren't going to continue to just add pieces to get better. Yeah, and obviously the the big thing that really jumps off the page is all those free agents they just signed, not named LeBron, they all signed a one-year contracts. Right. So it's pretty yeah. clear this year they just put together what they could. 
Yeah. And next year is going to be the year they try and make some major moves. And who knows, maybe they try and make a move at the trade deadline this year. We don't know. Um, but I think as far as free agency goes, it's very obvious next year. This year they did what they needed to do, get the best player in the world. Yeah. Next year, now let's fill out the, the supporting pieces with him. Well, I like a lot of those young guys on the Lakers too, so it would be cool if he got a chance to play with them. Like I like Kuzma and um, Ingram, well, of obviously. Like Ingram. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a man. <laughs> yeah, because he played at Duke. Awesome. <laughs> so, okay, so LeBron, all right. What's it going to take for Detroit basketball – to be relevant again? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. Where do you even start? Yeah. You, where do you start right now? Um, I don't know. Honestly, they. it's hard to say because you don't know what's going on with the coaching and the front office and stuff like that. But have we made like a solid draft pick in forever? <laughs> Even when we were good, we didn't. Well, I guess we could made a few, but as soon well, as we were, lot, really, I mean, you yeah, look at that championship team. I correct me if I'm wrong. I have to go back and look at, it, but I'm pretty positive Tayshawn Prince was the only drafted player that played a major role. Yeah, that's what I was. I mean, he was Chauncey the first one that came to mind. Rip came from a trade. Rashid came from a trade. Uh, ben yeah. Wallace obviously came from either free agency or a trade. I think it was a trade. Um, I mean, yeah, I almost remember. no one in there. Tayshawn was the only real factor that was drafted. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's a young guy's game. You know, these draft picks are turning out to be the guys that are turning into the role players, but we don't have anybody to build a team around either. No, and, you know, bringing in Blake Griffin, I like him. I think he's got a little bit of toughness to him, a little bit of marketability. For sure. He's got to be your third option if you have any chance. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't as mad about that pick as a lot of people other than we gave up all those draft picks. Yeah, that was tough. But That was tough. Feet, but if you can get someone else to go with him, I mean Drummond, but like someone else, yeah. then okay, then you can add those pieces that aren't you know, huge names that those role players that just end up kind of developing into good players. But, I mean, we suck at drafting players. The worst. Yeah, we're really bad at it. I mean, so I've had this discussion with a lot of people. When you talk about bust in the draft, to me, when you say biggest bust, I look at that from an ownership standpoint in terms of who's the worst pick I've ever seen. And... Mm -hmm. People always point to Sam Bowie, right, ahead of Michael Jordan. Sam Bowie had injury issues. Mm -hmm. Greg Oden, huge bust. He <clears throat> couldn't be healthy. Like, these guys, it's not that they picked bad players. Right. They got unlucky, and these players never got healthy. Right. When I look at who are the worst picks I've ever seen, I, yeah. I rate that based on how bad was the guy relative to what we thought he was going to be. And who did we leave behind him that was It's more of that than anything. Yes, like, and who was fairly obvious, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like, guys like Draymond Green, I don't consider that, like, oh, you drafted him over Draymond Green. No one thought Draymond Green was going to be good. Right. You know, but, like, Darko Milicic over 
Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh, who I can't really speak for Bosh. I don't remember him super well in college. But, he was solid. dude, I'm telling you, watching Carmelo Anthony and Dwayne Wade, that's about as surefire stars in the NBA you'll ever see in college. Yeah. I mean, that was bad. It was terrible. Like, the Anthony Bennett one's not nearly as bad, although Anthony Bennett was a miserable pick by the Cavaliers. That was a super weak draft. Yeah. You know, like – Well, that's the thing is that draft is so good. Yeah. Like, that, that 2003 draft with LeBron, Carmelo, Wade, Bosch, I mean, that's arguably one of the best drafts ever, right? Along right. with that, Kobe won. Um, yep. And then Jordan's, Jordan's class was really good, obviously, with Jordan and Hakeem. I mean, that's two of the absolute best of all time. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I look at that all the time and I'm like, dude, Carmelo and D Wade are about as surefire as you can get. Yeah. In terms of, and those guys were good and like stars in college too. You know, it's not like they just ended up being really good. Well, and the other thing is like, they example, were already good. Yeah. I, I know Carmelo hasn't, he's got a bad rap now. Um, but look at the fact that not only was he a great player, him and Wade, but they were winners in college too. Yeah, exactly. Like D Wade took that Marquette team who had nobody mm-hmm. and, and took them deep in, uh, on a deep run. And then Carmelo is the, the key and the star player on a national championship team as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Like how do you not take that guy? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That was a tough one for sure. My favorite was Dumar's excuse of, well, we already have Tayshaun. Okay. Like, yeah, and you Tayshawn is so long, you could play him at the four. I get you maybe well, maybe isn't that strong, or just trade one of them. the The NBA is the most tradable league there is. I just think that's a stupid excuse in general. Like, you need subs. Yeah. <laughs> like, you need other guys. It's just not a not a good excuse at all yeah it's like you're trying to make the excuse of like well we don't want a really good player coming off the bench right yeah why not (laughs) exactly because and you can play basketball is another like you said a sport where you can play different systems you can play three big guys or two guards or you know one guard and a bunch of big guys are all guards whatever yeah you can't do that in football you can't draft a quarterback and have all you only get one quarterback yeah (laughs) so that's where that makes sense not in basketball yeah i i've always thought um that in the nba you draft best available player in the nfl you draft for position needs for sure uh because the nfl is not nearly as tradable a league as the nba is 100 percent. so and like you said you can mix and match so much better in the nba than you can in the NFL. You know, like like you said, you can't play four quarterbacks out there. Exactly. Stone. <laughs> All right, man. Well, let's uh we'll wrap up here. I appreciate you coming on uh, and taking the time. I know you're a busy guy. You lift like seven hours a day and you got a full time job. So uh, <laughs> No problem. It was fun. Glad you glad you called me. All right, man. Well you have yourself a good night and we'll be talking soon. Absolutely. All right, take care. You too.